Data underlies every modern financial technology solution. And it's not exactly the easiest data to get a hold of, especially on businesses. Rails is one API that enables you to connect to the major financial and accounting service providers businesses use most, such as QuickBooks, Sage, FreshBooks, and more. You can get the data you need to build the next Outlander, Neobank, forecasting software, or modern insurance brokerage. Rails also normalizes the data so that you are working with smart data. Here is what's special for startups. When you sign up for Rails pay-as-you-go plan, you qualify for the six months free to access all connections, live integrations, and environments. You can follow the link in the show notes of this episode or let their team know you came through Data Science at Home podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Data Science at Home podcast. I'm Francesco, podcasting from the regular office of Amitix Technologies based in Belgium. Today, I'm not alone, and we are going to speak about something extremely powerful, extremely interesting, and also fun, because it's Saturday, and we want to keep things light. I'm with Ravin Kumar. Um, hi, Ravin. How are you doing today? I'm doing quite well. Early morning for me, but I'm really excited to be here. Likewise, it's exciting to have you here. Uh, Ravin is uh, a data scientist at Google, and uh, he also has an amazing background in uh, several other companies out there. We most likely know all of them because they are super famous. And uh, he's also very interested uh, in, uh, well, in fact, he's an expert and a scientist in uh, uh, Bayesian machine learning and Bayesian modeling, which is exactly what we are going to discuss today. So, Ravin, before going into the details of the topic of the day, I would definitely love to know more about your background and your position at uh, one of the most important companies in the world, Google. <laughs> sure. Yeah, like you said, I work at uh, I work at Google, and I'm a data scientist there now, which is very awesome. Although the opinions I state here on this podcast are my own. Um, I'm on this particular team called the Trust and Safety Team, and uh, the greater team works to make these trusted and safe experiences for all, all Google users. Um, and what I do is I just support the team with statistical analyses, as you may expect from uh, the data science title. I think maybe interestingly enough, I did not start in statistics or math. At, well, not statistics is my career. I was a mechanical engineer by training and a manufacturing engineer and eventually worked my way over to the sort of Bayesian data scientist life through other organizations. Oh, wow. So now I'm really curious to know what really attracted you to <laughs> Bayesian and Bayesian statistics in particular. <laughs> yeah, this is a great point. So um, like I said, I'd started in manufacturing um, and this wasn't the first company I worked at, but one of the companies I'd worked at, let's say was SpaceX. And what I needed to do was my job was to help uh, make the manufacturing operations or the company operations more efficient or to help inform decisions that were going to occur in the manufacturing space. So do we buy this piece of machinery to build a thing? Do we pick this particular supplier to give us bolts or metal or parts? Um, which part of the manufacturing process is the most challenging or is probably going to cause us the most issues and delay a, a, a rocket delivery or um, an oil rig delivery or whatever I happened to be manufacturing at the time? Uh, and through lots of trial and error, figured out that the Bayesian modeling was the particular tool that really helped in the particular context I was working in. So, well, in fact, it was about prediction. It was about, uh, you know, describing a 
um, a, a natural phenomenon, a natural um, uh, scenario with statistics. Um, now, of course, you know, we, can, we have been doing statistics for a while now. All the data scientists out there know exactly what we are talking about. Uh, statistical distributions and, you know, p-values and, and, and depending on what you have to do, linear regression, logistic regressions, probabilities. I mean, we can go on and on with all the, 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 the topics of, the, uh, of, of this amazing field for prediction. But what is Bayesian in particular? What is Bayesian modeling and why it is important? So I want to revisit, I want to reword your question just a little bit. For me, it wasn't about predictions. And actually for a long time, I thought my world was about predictions, right? Predicting what is going to be late or predicting what decision we needed to make. But the world actually I need to operate in is a world where people need to make decisions, especially because I operate in businesses. So they're leaders and they make decisions to invest one way or invest uh, another way. And this is actually the key of why Bayesian modeling was important for me was its ability to help me make um, decisions. Yes, exactly. So it's not only about predictions, but it's also about describing a, a, a phenomenon or, or something that happens in the real world, right? Uh, and providing indeed informed decision power to, to whoever is using that information uh, from you know, a description of, uh, uh, of a statistical model. But what is Bayesian modeling in, in particular? Like we know that there is, uh, let's say, traditional statistics or uh, so-called frequentist uh, statistics, and there is Bayesian. So if you were able to, a, 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 let's say, a definition, giving us a definition of what do you mean by Bayesian and uh, uh, what are the tools, the typical tools of a Bayesian statistician? Yeah, so let me, yeah, let me break that apart a little bit. One way you could define it, maybe the, the most trite or simplest way is Bayesian modeling is perhaps any modeling that happens to use um, Bayes' theorem, right? This four equation, um, this four term equation, not a very useful definition, but maybe the, the uh, safest definition. But to me, in my, in my uh, opinion, uh, this is the way I think about Bayesian modeling. And for me, it's this process of incorporating all this uncertainty that we have in the world whether it may be uncertainty that's captured in people's brains or uncertainty that you can actually uh, extract from data values that are in a database or an Excel sheet or whatever it may be. It's then thinking about the data, generated proce data generating process in a principled way and constructing a model, in my case, that incorporates um, expert or domain knowledge. And then at the end, it's obtaining of this full posterior distribution that not only gives you the most likely value, but the entire distribution of possible beliefs once you've updated the model with the priors. And then, for, especially for me, the last point, like I said, is using these to then have a fully informed decision in a business. That to me is the process of Bayesian modeling, which is different than the process of, let's say, hypothesis testing. So regardless of how you think about statistics, when you go to, let's, like you said, traditional statistics, it's, it's a decision about whether there was a strong effect size or whether these two distributions are different. And that's really all you're getting, right? Is this different? What's an effect size? For me, that's not what I need. I need this full process of quote unquote Bayesian modeling to take a bunch of uncertainty priors in priors, take a, um, a domain expert sort of bespoke model in my circumstances, doesn't always have to be. And then in particular, make decisions over a fully informed posterior. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. And uh, you mentioned domain knowledge. So it's kind of a, let's say, injected knowledge uh, in, 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 in the model, in fact, right? How do you represent this, you know, um, 
preliminary knowledge that you might have because most of the time, uh, I've also had a lot of these experiences personally. You know, when I work for, for example, healthcare, pharmaceuticals, of course, the first thing I do as a data scientist is going around desk by desk, asking to the, to, to, to the experts around me, explaining what they know about the problem that I'm trying to solve or to model. How can you integrate that knowledge in under a Bayesian setting? Yeah, so for me, this maybe was a little easier because for a time I was the domain expert and I was new to Bayesian modeling. So let's take the easiest example I can think of is a manufacturing line, right? So we'll take, let me just take a rocket because that's where I happen to work, right? You need you need some bolts and you need some pieces to build to build an engine. And then once you have an engine, you need to put that engine into a, a first stage. And then once you have that first stage, you need to ship it somewhere um, so it can launch into space. Now, what you could say is the first process takes two days, the second process takes five days, and the last process takes 10 days. Uh, and I already forgot the numbers, but let's say that's like that ended up being 15 days, right? That's like the that's like the easy way to do that. But for me as an expert, I knew the process. So all I had to do was encode that into a model and say, um, I have this process with uncertainty, it goes to this process with uncertainty, it goes to that process with uncertainty. And now I could make an estimation over the total lead time incorporating the uncertainty in each one of the steps. And I, but I could build that model because I knew exactly how rockets were made. And that's where I took my domain expertise. I plugged it into, um, into a particular tool, which I'm sure we'll talk about later. And from that tool, I could then have a full range to say this total lead time will take anywhere between, let's say, eight days to 20 days, most likely the value being 15 days. In other cases, it's just talking to the experts, like you said, it's partnering with domain experts and understanding the data generating process and, and um, capturing that into an informed model the best way you can. So, uh, Ravin, the you know the bias theorem, in fact, exists since I don't know 1700, 1800, probably. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it all it's always been there. Uh, my question is, why now? Like, why are we speaking about Bayesian modeling now in 2022, or well, just a few years ago? Yeah, another another fantastic question. And I was fascinated when I learned this too, that it's such an old idea that seems to be coming in Krogh now. The way I got into it, the reason I'm talking about Bayes Theorem now is I happened to chance into some amazing tools that other people had built that solved my problem. So there was this tool set that has recently been developed in particular called probabilistic programming languages um, that let you express these models that we're just talking about quite easily. Something I could, I could do at work within the span of a workday and get a result um, and due to that ease, and, these, and uh, there's this fellow named Thomas Wiki that came up with this idea called the magic inference button. Um, because now this magic button exists in these probabilistic programming languages, I can get to the answer and to the decision I needed without a, a lot of the nitty gritty details that, used to, that, you, that you used to have to do in the past or, or even couldn't do at all before computation. And in terms of computation tools, like what's going on there? Yeah, so there's really two parts to it, like I said. There's, there's now a really easy language, probabilistic programming languages in STAN or, or PyMC or TensorFlow probability that make expressing these models as a domain expert pretty easy, right? You can just go in and write these things in, in this very nice language. But paired with that are these samplers under the hood that the probabilistic programming languages are using. And what these samplers do is they, they um, estimate the posterior distribution, which I think we'll define later, but they do it in a way that's fairly automatic or easy that don't require you to think as much about how inference happened in the past. So in the past, when you were using these, um, in the past when you're using Bayesian models, 
you had to think a lot about the math and how you can perform inference and some of the caveats. But these days, not like totally automatic, but I'll say somewhat automatic. Um, you just, you as a user can just think about your model. You can think about your data. You can think about how you want to represent it. And you hit this magic inference button. It goes to this sampler, these M um, MCMC Markov chain Monte Carlo samplers that quote unquote, do some magic to then most of the time give you the posterior distribution. So you don't have to think, you don't have to think about the inference bits. You can just stay high level at sort of the domain problem. It's very, very similar to, um, to the deep learning frameworks, right? You don't have to think about back, back propagation or auto diff or these things. You have this high level language where you specify your neural net, you, you slam this button, and hopefully soon after you just end up with a trained neural net with weights and all, all the bits. No more of this uh, um, writing back propagation by hand in, in chain rules and things like that. Thank God. <laughs> that will be that will be a nice a nice task <laughs> to do a back propagation <laughs> by hand. <laughs> Not fun. More of a grad student experience these days rather than a practical one. Yeah, no, that, that's amazing because the mathematics behind that is, is incredible. And the fact that today, I believe we can use a lot of GPU power also to sample and generate these data points that magically approximate a, uh, you know, they will converge, in fact, to a, a posterior distribution, right? I just, like you said, um, with there's a sort of this parallel path going on, right? Like with this deep learning revolution, a lot of folks are thinking about how to do efficient math on GPUs or, or TPUs, Google, and you know it's an all boats rise sort of thing. There's this all this great research happening at the hardware layer and this computational layer, and that helps the the deep learning community, and that also helps provide these um, a great platform for the Bayesian algorithm developers as well. All right, Ravin. So, what are the typical problems where you see Bayesian modeling working, like being kind of the best? perfect candidate, the most perfect candidate for. Yep, so I'm gonna keep harping on the same thing I talked about because that's where I got into Bayesian modeling. There was a point in my life where I had to, again, I had to figure out how long it was gonna take for parts to come into a factory, right? Was it gonna take five days? Was it gonna take 20 days? Was it gonna take 30 days? Because if it took 30 days, we needed to do very different things than if it took five days. Um, the issue I had at SpaceX though, was I didn't have tens of thousands of data points. I really actually only had four or five or like eight data points for four or five or six parts that were pretty close, but not exactly the same. So uh, at the time I was relatively, I'd say naive in statistics and I had learned quote unquote frequency statistics in my undergrad, um, but I couldn't figure out how to formulate the problem. This wasn't a comparison of like means or comparison of some estimator where I was saying this supplier is faster than that supplier. I just need, I had these data points and I needed to figure out how long things were gonna come in. Um, it also wasn't a sort of uh, decision tree or, again, machine learning problem because I wasn't trying to, well, I was trying to predict how long something would come in, but I didn't need a point estimate. That was one challenge I had. And the other challenge I had is I only had four, like literally only had four data points, no covariates. So like, how was I going to plug this thing into some sort of algorithm? Um, you could take the mean, right? But then you end up again with a point estimate. And I was really looking for the uncertainty. Uh, because I needed to make a decision based on the uncertainty, not just the mean. And that's really where Bayesian estimation really, really, really helped me. Um, I could say with these, you know, four data points in a, in a fairly informed prior from expert knowledge, this is what we think is going to happen. And then, like I said, in the previous example, more powerfully, I could then chain these together in a, 
in an easy computational way to say, this is what's going to happen globally, not just on this one part. And that's really what Bayesian modeling helped me solve and why I started becoming so enamored with it. Um, well, that's indeed one of the most powerful points. I think there are several, uh, as already mentioned, for example, the fact that when you predict something, you're not going to get the, you know, the brutal number, but you're going to get a distribution of values that are indeed likely uh, to be the, 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 uh, the, prediction, the predicted value. Um, but another important point to, to keep in mind, in my opinion, is the one that you just mentioned, the, the fact that you no longer need in several use cases an immense number of data points to, to proceed, right? Which is exactly what deep learning, for example, expects for even for the smallest of the neural networks out there. Yeah, exactly. And I didn't even need covariates to make an estimation, right? So if I use the decision tree or even a plain linear regression, you usually need some other um, features to then make a prediction. But in this case, I didn't really even have great features. I just had the observations and still needed to make an informed decision. Wow. So a very powerful tool. Now, another powerful tool that we already mentioned is, of course, deep learning. <laughs> and here, the, the, the connection is kind of natural <laughs> for me to ask, uh, which is, you know, deep learning, Bayesian. Why not Bayesian deep learning? <laughs> yes. So I'll give you the caveat. I'm not an expert in Bayesian deep learning at the moment, though. It's something I, I'm going to spend more time learning uh, because I see so many great papers and research happening um, in this area. They seem to be... Um, like you said, there's, you know, deep learning is a big topic and Bayesian, Bayesian data science is a topic that's coming up and naturally folks are trying to combine the two. So for my non-expert opinion, here's where I think it could help. Um, I've seen these sort of studies where deep learning can have these, um, deep learning can predict like an image is something that it's not, when it's very obviously not that thing. So I think I've seen, you know, I haven't, I haven't read the papers entirely, but I've seen articles or summaries where like, if you change a couple of pixels in an image, all of a sudden your, your image turns from like a cat into a car or, or something else crazy, like a computer attacks. Yeah, exactly. And so it seems that to me, it seems that, that um, traditional deep learning, I'll say, seems susceptible to these small aberrations in the data. Um, but from what I understand, Bayesian, Bayesian deep learning with its posterior A tells you how probable everything is, but also seems to be a little bit more resilient to some of these small um, small nuances. Again, uh, not an expert, but I will say there is there seems to be a bigger tool set uh, increasing this as well. So TensorFlow, TensorFlow probability now has a sort of Bayesian layer that you can place on top of sort of quote unquote traditional deep learning models. And I'll mention Thomas again. Thomas has a great blog post where he shows uh, a Bayesian neural net implemented in PyMC3, and you can see the, the difference in the results from uh, traditional me machine learning and, and the Bayesian approach. And do you remember by heart eventually some metrics, some comparisons that we can give to our audience in terms of, for example, training speed, uh, inference speed, accuracy, uh, and of course also the way a Bayesian neural network would generalize with respect to a traditional deep learning network? Yeah, so again, I'm just quoting off the top of my head, um, but from what I've seen in particular cases, it seems that Bayesian neural nets can be more accurate, but the other points you mentioned, training speed, inference speed, that seems to be where the challenge is right now, even uh, from the blog posts and things that I've read, that it is, it is slower to train um, a full Bayesian neural net with all its parameters than, um, than a simple backpropagation uh, neural net that we see these days. So I think, 
training speed and inference speed are probably the biggest challenges. But like we talked before, hopefully with increased technology and hardware speed, we're able to surmount that. Can we say that uh, a Bayesian deep learning framework would be more, let's say, white box with respect to the, the black box, traditional black box of deep learning on neural networks? Uh, could, you, could we say you know, that if we put some Bayesian flavor in the mix, uh, we would kind of have a, I'm not saying a white box, but a, let's say, semi-transparent bo box. <laughs> I See, and this is, and from my knowledge in neural nets, I don't know if it would be transparent because if it's a large network with a bunch of nodes and things like that, it's hard to tell exactly what's happening with each one of those nodes and for a human to introspect in them. So take it, take it for comparison, um, a, a hand-constructed model from a PPL or even a smaller model from a PPL, because you're defining the model, you can see the effect of each parameter, right? Like I can, let's take an example where I was, I had some covariates to predict lead time. I can see the effect of a supplier being a category or whether we paid an expedite fee or whether it's a bolt or a piece of metal or an, a composite carbon fiber composite part, right? Like in, in those Bayesian models, you can read the parameters because of the way the model's constructed. But if it's a neural net model where it's a bunch of nodes and they're just being summed together, I don't, I'm not sure if, it would be any more introspectable um, what's happening, let's say in the middle of the model. But what I do understand is that the edges of the model, you would get, uh, you theoretically could get a better estimation of like, if it was a cat or a dog with calibrated um, probabilities or full posterior versus just a prediction and you just sort of left with the prediction and you just got to trust it um, full, like sort of blindly. Ravin, we have seen that, uh you know, human brains <laughs> have been compared to deep learning, or in fact, deep learning have been compared to neuro, to uh, human brains a lot, uh, you know, many times. And pretty much all the times I was, you know, smiling, <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> um, but one thing I'm sure is that the human brain doesn't do backpropagation. <laughs> <laughs> Can we say that the human brain does more something, you know, let's say closer to Bayesian? <laughs> well, I can definitely say, I don't think my brain does Markov chain Monte Carlo either, but I think this is a really interesting, interesting philosophical point. And I'll bring this up for two reasons. And I'll give you the caveat. I'm not an expert in human biology or brain thinking at all. But one is the Bayesian paradigm just made so much more sense to me than the traditional statistics paradigm, right? Or even some of the machine learning stuff when applied to my problem. So I'll keep using the same example because I love it, but you know, I'm going to buy some parts for a rocket. The first part, I don't know how long it'll take, but you know, I worked at other companies. It took about 10 days. So, okay. I think it'll take about 10 days. Um, the first part comes in. It was about eight days. Okay. All right. A little less than I thought. Next part comes in. It's also seven days. All right. A little less than I thought, you know, maybe it's seven days. Next one comes in. It's about nine days. And suddenly I've started with some prior knowledge that I've had and it's been updated down to down to eight. And I, and I know it's eight with, with, you know, low variability. Take another scenario. I need to buy this part. And the first one comes in at 20 days. I'm like, oh, whoa, that's way more than 10. The next one comes in at two days. The next one comes in at 40 days. And suddenly I'm saying, okay, it's not that, uh, it, I, it's not even the, the mean value that I'm worried about. I'm, these parts are coming in with big vari variability. I can't rely on the supplier. And the Bayesian paradigm gave me that, which I couldn't get from a hypothesis test. And I couldn't get from um, a gradient boosted decision tree or a neural net. So in that sense, the Bayesian mentality clicked at least with the way that I thought about the world and my problem. Another interesting analogy I'll give you um, is this, this book from a poker player called Annie Duke. I think she's 
fairly famous. Uh, it's called Thinking in Bets. And I don't think she's a, at least from her bio, she's not a classic statistician. She, hasn't, she doesn't have a PhD in math, but she talks about the way she thinks about um, the world in poker and bets, and then also how you can incorporate this. And I, I think, she, you know, in her book, uh, maybe I'm projecting a little bit, but she describes this update cycle where you make a bet and then you wait and you see what happens and then you update your belief and then you make a bet and then you uh, you update your belief. So I found it very interesting to see um, somebody that is not in the field of statistics in the traditional way um, write this book and essentially describe her Bayesian update process for becoming a great poker player and someone that had been quite successful in life. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and that's kind of the human touch uh, in many aspects of, of predictions and uh, and in many predictions across sectors, there is this, you know, the, the expectation or subjective probability, how you know traditional uh, statisticians would call it, uh, the fact that you can apply to your uh, thinking, your experience, and then calibrate accordingly. Uh, and that's something for which, uh, as you said, Bayesian statistics or Bayesian modeling, in fact, seems to be like, you know, by design, right? <laughs> it, the, yeah, it's from the philosophy that just seems the way, the way that I think, and I think that other people may think as well. Yeah, I agree. And, and this is super powerful. But do you think that just because of this, of this, you know, fundamental difference, um, you, should we be expected machine learning models sooner than later will be replaced by Bayesian modeling? So I don't, I would start off strong in saying, I don't think um, any new model is going to replace an old, old model. So I don't think, I don't see the world that like Bayesian models are going to replace decision trees or XJBoost or anything like that. But for me, the way I've seen it is, especially with modern tooling, Bayesian models are opening up this new area or this new paradigm or this new opportunity for folks, like let's say myself, to apply statistics in a place that it just hasn't been applied so much so before. So in these applied settings that haven't been served by the capabilities or the tooling available for deep learning or machine learning or um, hypothesis focused statistics. And so I think they're going to be quite complementary. Let's, I mean, we'll take, we'll take Google as an example, right? Like, I don't think Google's going to replace all of its neural nets. I don't work on the, I don't, I mean, it's a big company, but like, uh, it's not going to, take away from any of that stuff, but it's now this new capability that that SpaceX or Sweet Green or other organizations or others that I even I don't work at, but I see from my colleagues work at, um, have started using. So I think it's um, good to expand the horizons of data more than replace an existing tool. Ravin, I have the the traditional philosophical question of this show (laughs) where I see already your face is kind of... (laughs) It's quietly changing and getting worried. <laughs> Don't worry. We're just speaking about artificial general intelligence. I mean, what can go wrong? <laughs> now, jokes apart, where do you see uh, Bayesian modeling playing? You know, what kind of role you think is going to play in the biggest framework and, uh, you know, picture of artificial general intelligence, if you believe in artificial general intelligence, of course? Yeah, so I'll be on, I don't know which way artificial general intelligence is going to go, but I think one way that it's affecting the conversation right now is it's just another way to think about how data can be used and even the philosophy of, of statistics and probability that's just challenging current generally intelligent researchers, right? So as researchers are thinking about um, the next way that we can use the computation and tools and pair it with, you know, theoretical mathematical statistics, it's a sort of counterpart to um, 
other ways of doing it. And I think honestly, through the combination of all of the uh, advances occurring across all of these fields, uh, like I said before, everybody will keep moving forward to a different paradigm, to a different paradigm, and we'll get closer and closer to, if not artificial general intelligence, just um, generally, let's say smarter computation. Okay, and less narrow, let's say, less, less specialized models, that's for sure. Exactly, or more capabilities, like I said before, right? Rather than just predicting a thing, maybe being able to reason or whatever it may be. Well, I think that we are approaching the end of this episode, unfortunately, because I was just warming up. <laughs> <laughs> no, but let's speak about tools, libraries, software. I mean, I'm pretty sure that the audience of this uh, show uh, definitely wants to love, you know, more about hands-on libraries, tools that you can find there, download, hopefully for free, uh, and, and experiment at home. After all, this is called data science at home, right? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and this is my favorite part. This is where I spend most of most of my time. Um, so there's going to be so many to list here, but let me let me try and break it up into useful useful categories. One is I'll say if you haven't taken a look at the tools, libraries, or software available in sort of the Bayesian side of things, it's a great time to go look because um, there's numerous groups providing numerous pieces of software. Um, the core software you usually hear about is this probabilistic programming language that I've spoken about. Um, there's many, uh, there's Stan, there's uh, TensorFlow Probability, there's PyMC, there's NumPyro. So many folks building these languages where you can express yourself. And I would look at any of those and even more that I haven't listed here. And then similarly, even around the core PPL, there's a lot of work around um, tools that support the workflow. So I work on one called RVs. It's the Python package that helps enable the Bayesian workflow. Similarly, in R or through other groups, there's uh, there's Bayesflow, and there's all these tools that help you do Bayesian inference, not just the inference part, but the whole the whole part of it. And then I think it's just the same software ecosystem that I think the listeners already know about: Python, R, notebooks. All of these things are what encapsulate uh, Bayesian inference and the Bayesian inference workflow, so you can produce something useful. So if you're looking for that end to end, I'll just give, I'll give myself a self plug. Um, recently had written a book on this topic in, in chapter nine or 10, I'm, I'm forgetting off the top of my head, but there's a workflow chapter that, that covers this exact topic, various tools, various libraries that can be used to go from start to finish in a, in, especially in, in a business setting or in a research setting and even what's going on inside of those tools. This is great, Ravin. And uh, of course, I invite the followers of this show to take a look at the show notes of this episode. We'll report all the references and uh, the books and links and the names of the tools that uh, Ravin has just mentioned in this show. Ravin, I think this was really, really a great topic and a great episode. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to Data Science at Home podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean to get new, fresh episodes. For more, please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or visit us.